Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Dean Mackin. Dean Mackin. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hey, good day, everyone. How are you going, fellow freedom fighters? I hope you're having a terrific day wherever you happen to be. And, of course, we're going to have a terrific show today. And some of the guests include the Aussie Cossack. We'll be chatting with him. Of course, Gemma Cooper, up within moments. And we're going to be talking to Matt Shelton, I should say, somebody, a medical veteran, taking a stand against New Zealand's COVID policies. The whistleblowers over there who are wanting to blow the lid of what's happening over there, and I pray that they're able, are having their houses surrounded by police. It is absolutely horrific what's going on there. We've got a new, apparently more conservative government. Uh, Some would argue some of them are pretenders. Uh, Winston Peters, I'm not sure about him. I have my doubts, and I'm going to be talking to someone later this week who knows him personally who may share my opinion on that. So we'll find out imminently uh, the next couple of days whether New Zealand is fair income with their new conservative option. We'll find out. We're going to talk to Steve Kirsch as well, who uh, we're going to be talking about the COVID-19 and uh, some data that has come to light on that. And uh, certainly it is forever our eyes are opening wider and wider. And what happened to us over the last three years, all of us, tin foil hat conspiracy theorists. We're doing pretty okay, aren't we? We're doing pretty much, what What are we, like 28 and 0. The last time I made, made a checklist, we're probably about 110 and 0, if I'm honest, but we certainly did get it right. We felt it. We trusted our intuition, and you don't need a medical degree to do that. Karen Phelps, Dr. Karen Phelps, has a medical degree and decided it was safe and effective. Now her and her partner uh, are suffering debilitating illnesses and side effects because they thought they knew better than somebody who would trust their intuition, despite the fact that those of us without it may not have a medical degree. Intuition wins every time. So uh, a big thank you, by the way, to Chris Smith. He'll be back tomorrow. And uh, I'm just looking forward to talking to these people and uh, blowing the lid off all the things that have been happening. I've got a mate. He's he's in the V8 Holdens. He's always had the top of the range HSV Senator and whatnot. And he's bought another V8. He's had to switch to BMW. He's quite happy about that. But the vehicle that he ordered and the colour that he ordered wasn't quite ready. So <laughs> Dave Moy, if you're watching, they gave him a Tesla. They gave him a Tesla. And he's keeping us up to date daily on what's happening with his Tesla. And as much as I know many of you would love to see it fail, he's liking it. It's very weird. He's a petrol head. He's a bigger petrol head than me. We used to race cars together, and he's liking the Tesla. Not as much as the BMW V8 that he's about to receive, but he's not bagging it. He thought he would be. But I'm going to give you some information that would suggest it's great. If you're one of these, and you do need to be quite rich, rather well off, to have a Tesla, and if you're one of those few people that can afford one or is able to have an electric vehicle, great. Terrific. That's fine. As long as we keep that down to less than, what, 5% of the population, it's unrealistic to think that all of us could be doing that, especially with this switch to renewable energy. How the hell are we going to recharge all these vehicles? I mean, just absolutely nuts. I've got some data 
here you might like. It's hope you're sitting down because now this is just one Tesla, one Tesla battery, and it takes up the entire space of the floor component. And I mean, it's very clever. All your weight is in your motors and your battery, and it's under you. Uh, low weight means a good center of gravity. You're going to go around corners fast. That's the good news. Now, have a listen to this. To make one Tesla battery, just the one, you are going to be looking at 12 tonnes of rock, lithium. You're looking at five tonnes of cobalt minerals, three tonnes of mineral for nickel, 12 tonnes of copper ore. Now, you've got to remove 250 tonnes of soil to even get to all of this, right? Now we're talking 12 kilograms of lithium, 30 pounds of nickel, 23 kilograms of manganese, 15 pounds of cobalt. And to manufacture the battery requires 100 kilograms of what they call RAM chips. And to say nothing of the 200 kilograms of aluminium, steel, and or plastic. Now, a Caterpillar 994A is used for the earth moving, and uh, they're these huge vehicles. Uh, now, they typically consume 264 gallons, it's about a 1,000 litres, if I can do the math correctly, of diesel in just 12 hours. And I can assure you they don't move that much in 12 hours. And uh, finally, you get, let's wait for it. It's what all the greenies are telling us a zero emissions car. Isn't that absolutely terrific? And then 10 years later, you roll on down the road to say nothing of all the people I know who own Teslas, who within the warranty period have had to have the entire battery pack, you know, replaced because it's been faulty. One cell in a battery pack could require that the whole battery pack, and I did just give you the data for that, need replacing. And on top of all of that, after 10 years, what is your resale value of a car where the battery has reached its lifespan? To have that battery replaced requires a, an extraordinary amount of effort and labour by mechanics typically charged at $160 an hour here in Australia, probably more if you're elsewhere. And to do that, and then you, you've got a car that's 10 years old. People that are well off don't keep cars for 10 years. So they're going to try and palm them off to somebody who wants a deal. You're not going to get a deal if you've got to go and spend 20 grand to replace the battery on the car. Then let's roll forward another six years to in Australia, the Holden Commodore. You'd buy it for 40 grand. You'd drive it on lease for five years. You'd sell it. Some you know, ordinary, typical middle-class Australian would buy it. He'd drive it for a little while. He'd sell it to a P-plater eight years later or an L-plater who would buy that car as their first car for between $1,204,000. How is a young person going to get their first vehicle when we've switched to electric, when the only people offloading cars that cheap are because the battery is at the end of its lifespan and that battery is going to cost upwards of three to five times what you paid for the car. Does that sound practical to you? I don't think it does. I don't think it's even close to practical, but that's what they're going to have a swallow and that's what they want you to believe. Uh, did you know that there are many ways that you can listen to us here on TNT Radio? So why not stream us direct from our website or on your desktop, your tablet, your mobile device, or of course you can download our app from the App Store. We even stream live on YouTube, Rumble and Odyssey, and we've got you covered here at TNT Radio.
The facts. No spin or agenda. Not enough with the lies. We need the facts. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. One of my favourite parts about working here at TNT is the people I get to talk to. And, of course, my regulars are the rule, not the exception. And Gemma Cooper is a legend, an ex-BBC veteran, someone who is as professional as it gets. And I look forward to having a chat with her every weekday afternoon. Hey, Gemma, how are you going? Yes, very well, Dean. I loved your analysis of the electric vehicle scam. It was absolutely flawless. You obviously have done a great deal of research and feel very passionately about that. And that came across very well. We should get you on the uh, Aussie public address system somewhere, just (laughs) (laughs) constantly on loop, telling people don't fall for it. I think the interesting thing, though, a lot of data has come out recently about the the EV sales market and a lot of the big players like Tesla were going to open a factory in Mexico. They're not going to do that anymore because of the demand. It isn't there. And also, I think it was Ford. They were looking at making EV pickups in the States. And I think they've stopped uh, production on that or even even attempting production on that because they're realizing uh, uh, people are seeing through it. I mean, if you've got a pickup and then you're in the middle of nowhere and you run out of charge, what are you going to do? At least if you've got petrol, you've got a can of gas in the back, you know. But hey, people hey, really Jim, have, have you no. seen the people and they're driving around with a diesel generator in the back of the Tesla and they're pulling up on the side of the road with a fully stocked diesel generator so they can charge their car when they break down and they find that it's essential depending on where they may be living in the world. It's beyond ludicrous. It is beyond ludicrous. And also uh, the environmental impact, joking aside, what you're talking about there, the environmental impact of stripping those minerals out of the ground and then claiming there's no footprint. I mean, you'd have to be living under a stone or just be so completely deluded by the mainstream agenda that you go, okay, that sounds like a good idea. But I don't think people are thinking it's a good idea. The only thing I would say is, I know I see a few Teslas around my neck of the woods and one of the models does actually look quite nice. It's like quite sporty and quite sleek. And before I knew what they were, I was thinking, oh, that's a nice looking car. Maybe I'll get one of those. Oh, no, 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 no. Now I know what it is. Stay clear, stay clear, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but hey, 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 Jim, let's be honest. I mean, I'm a petrol head. I'm a massive petrol head. I've raced at Bathurst. I've done all of that. You know, I'm the kid that used to do burnouts in the street when he was 17. I mean, I'm that guy, you know, and you can take the kid out of Marrickville, but you can't take the Marrickville out of the boy. I love fast cars. And admittedly, some of the fastest cars, in fact, most of the absolute fastest cars, and we're talking zero to 100 kilometres an hour in under two seconds are electric and they're terrific if you're one of these people like Andrew Tate for example you got a bunch of money you like to show off and you want a car but it's not practical to think that the entire population can have these things that it's sustainable and it's going to pollute the ground it's going to pollute the world far more than anything that burns diesel or fuel ever has hydrogen is a pipe dream an absolute pipe dream And we need to wake up. And these people that are pushing it are pushing it for the globalists. And the goal is to get us in debt. And when you are in debt, a debt that is unsustainable, that is unpayable, you own us. You literally own us. They're going to take everything we have. They've already got half of it. And our kids and our grandkids um, are going to be the ones that suffer. And I'll tell you what, I know you're not, Gemma. I know nobody out there in the audience listening is going to cop it either. And we have to stand up because this is the one our kids and our grandkids are going to pay for. And it's not going to happen on our watch. Absolutely. And it's not happening on our watch. I I think, you know, the last three and a half years, the great gift of it is it's woken a lot of people up and uh, it won't be happening on our watch. There are more and more of us every single day who've had our perception shift and are now seeing the world as it really is, as it has been for millennia, you know, the the people at the top and us, the 99.9% at the bottom, but people are seeing through it. Droves, and that's that is the wonderful thing about the last few 
years. But I'll just quickly uh, come to the story that I'm bringing from the UK this morning, because yesterday you and I talked quite a bit about immigration and how it was pushing up the rental market in both Australia and here in the UK and pushing people out and contributing to the housing crisis and to the homeless problem. Well, I wonder sometimes who's listening to TNT in terms of the powers that be, because uh, yesterday afternoon, the UK Home Secretary stood up in the House of Commons, in the Houses of Parliament, and talked about immigration and said, right, enough is enough. That's it. And he's launched this big five point plan and it's dominating the headlines this morning here in the UK. He's basically said, right, migration, net migration, which currently stands at a third of the million, third of a million coming in, came in last year, uh, is going to be slashed down to 300,000. And his five point plan is changes to health and care visas, the skilled worker visas, uh, family visas, i.e. if you get a job here, who you can bring with you. He's going to look at the shortage occupation list, things like fruit and veg picking that nobody in the UK wants to do. And he's going to look at student visas. Um, care workers will be barred from bringing family dependents in. That's quite significant because 100,000 people came in on a care worker visa to the UK last year, bringing with them 120,000 dependents who all obviously want to access the services that UK offers. Uh, Cut price labour will be scrapped. Uh, Occupations like veg picking that currently offer 20% less salary than the going rate to foreign workers, that's all going to go. And of course, he's jetted off to Rwanda today to sign the treaty with their country, meaning we can deport some of our uh, migrants over there. Not many, I have to say, but it is a deal. Um, This story is significant because another headline this morning, very sad, but it's about a care home. Uh, A 91-year-old lady was trapped by a stairlift in a care home in Somerset, and she had her two carers with her. One was Indian, one was Romanian, and neither could speak particularly good English at all. They called 999. They couldn't explain to 999 what happened because of their English levels. They couldn't tell the difference between the word alive and alert. And the poor lady died, that she died, trapped by a stairlift in the care home. And they phoned the lady's daughter who lived miles away, and because of their lack of English, they just said, your mother's dead. And that's it, that's what we're facing here. I mean, I wouldn't say it was the fault necessarily of those poor people because it must have been traumatic for them. That's the fault of the person who employed them at the care home. But of course, when you've got people coming over willing to do a job that nobody else wants to do for much less, these are the kind of problems you're going to face. So here in the UK, immigration is finally being tackled. We're looking at a general election, though, uh, probably in less than a year. So how many of these actual things happen is one thing and they know it's a vote winner every western country now knows that immigration is a vote winner but things are happening here to tackle this uh, ongoing problem um whether or not the gaps in the labor market can be filled is different because a lot of the unions are saying if you do this our nhs and the care home system will fall apart because if it wasn't for foreign workers it would we would have no one but as that story illustrates foreign workers who can't speak english bring problems of their own Jim, what's really horrific is how we've been bamboozled by all of this. And here we are, happy as Larry, because they're dropping numbers to numbers that are far too extreme already, because we've had even more ridiculous numbers. Here in Australia, recently 1.5 million people have come into this country, a population with only uh, 26 million. That is a significant percentage. And when you have a look at the size of England compared to Australia, uh, we are 3,078% larger by way of landmass than you. And we are devastated when we get 200,000 people in here to have such a finite landmass over in the UK and to be bringing these people in and trying to tell the general public 
that, you know, this is something you want when we nobody wants it. And when I say nobody, I'm talking about even those who have come here in recent years, let alone in recent decades or generations. The simple fact is we've done well for ourselves and what we've built for ourselves is ours. I don't think we need to share it. I don't think we should be compelled to share it. And whether you want to regard us as selfish or whatever else, it was never about race. You know, some people could argue it's about incompatible culture and uh, that over time may d dissipate somewhat. But the simple fact is we are the voters. We don't want it. I'm sick of the handout brigade who vote for Labor in your country and mine, and they'll vote, but they don't care what their other policies are as long as they get an extra 50 pound or you know 100 bucks here in Australia in their weekly free money handout. They're happy to cop whatever because they don't even care about their own kids and their own grandkids. And those are the people who really are a problem. I mean, this might be a bit extreme, and I know it's one person, one vote as adults, but I would suggest that, you know, if you're somebody who has never contributed to the taxation system, never had a job, you shouldn't get a vote either. I don't think you should have a say. Those who are dependent on society and who have never contributed to it, I really don't think that they should be allowed to have a say in what happens in the future, certainly to your kids and, uh, you know, your, your grandkids. I don't think that's fair. Gemma Cooper, you're an absolute legend. I appreciate you coming on. I, I was listening to you on Lambert yesterday. I had a bit of a laugh because we'd covered some of the things because it was so common, so uh, almost like an analogue. That's what is happening in the UK is happening almost verbatim here in Australia. And it's a global playbook. They're rolling it out where we're starting to wake up. And the only question is, Gemma, is it too late? Let's hope not. And let's hope that by doing what we're doing right here, right now, that we can fix it moving forward. Absolutely. Well said. It's not too late. And we're, we're coming. The 99% at the bottom, 99.9%, .9%, actually, that's us, isn't it, are coming for the 1%, 0.1% at the top. It can't be stopped. This thing is more than just political and socioeconomic. It's, there's also a spiritual component, but we could do a whole show on that, Dean. We could do a whole show on that. <laughs> <laughs> and one day we may well. I, I pray you're right. I pray that we wake up before it's too late, and uh, let's do that. Jimmy Cooper, thank you. We'll catch you tomorrow. Thank you. You're listening to TNT Radio. You should hear what Ross Cameron is talking about. I see there's a new trend taking place, sweeping uh, the internet of what they're calling sort of technology naked walks, where you go for a walk without your iPhone, without uh, a headset, and just alone with your thoughts. Apparently some people are finding it quite emotionally taxing, but subsequently liberating. Uh, certainly I find if I get into a motor vehicle with a teenager, it's a matter of seconds uh, before there is a request for uh, usually the latest uh, Taylor Swift song or some other form of electronic stimulus. We are generation apparently trained uh, for a very short concentration span and a desperate need for um, digital company. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14 and I watched her struggle. 
but MDA helped her get the best treatments and care. And they also help kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at MDA.org today. Listen. Listen up! Now listen, we gotta talk. It's what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio. TNT. And welcome back to TNT Radio. If you're in the chat, I will join you now. I've absolutely forgot. And if you're not uh, part of it every afternoon, you're missing out. The chat is where it all happens. And Tribe is what Katie Hopkins calls it. And it is Tribe. It is family, a bunch of fair income people, a rabble of unbelievably intuitive people. And we love you. And we're going to get to your comments very, very soon. My next guest is my regular guest. And of course, a presenter every Saturday, 5 p.m. Brisbane time, 6 p.m. if you're here in New South Wales. Uh, that is the Aussie Cossack, Simeon Boykov. And he's going to talk about something that is uh, very serious. It's happening at the moment, certainly in the news. Senator James Patterson, he wants to strip Australian citizens uh, from their dual citizenship if they are suspected, only suspected, of uh, foreign in, for, foreign influence. And uh, what really worries me is you get people such as fair income Aussies, such as Simeon Boykov, and this, if we allow it to go too far, could be applied to fair income Aussies like Simeon. So for the latest on that, we're going to switch over to the Aussie Cossack. G'day, Simeon. How are you, mate? Dean, uh, good to be with you. Just a correction, 7 p.m. on Saturdays. Uh, tune in for my show on TNT. But you're absolutely right about uh, James Patterson, and there's a whole bunch of them. James Patterson, Penny Wong, uh, Claire O'Neill. In fact, as usual, it's Labor and Liberal together, bipartisan support are ramming this bill through Parliament. It's a pattern, isn't it? Exactly what they do when they want to do something dishonest or that's questionable. They ram it through, no discussion, no debate. And in this instance, we're talking about the citizenship bill. Now, the citizenship bill was brought in uh, to remove citizenship for serious crimes. And this uh, has been rescinded to put in a new bill. Uh, the bill uh, has been uh, cynically rebranded or rebadged as a community safety scheme. And the formal reason for the all of a sudden interest in the need to redo the citizenship bill is, of course, those uh, 150 or so uh, detainees being let out into the public. And everyone is uh, up in arms. So how can you let these sex offenders and these serious criminals out into the public? And the government has used that as an excuse uh, to put through the citizenship bill. That's for the public consumption on the face of it. But if you dig deeper, you scratch the surface, and you go through the transcript of what was actually said in Parliament on the 30th of November, uh, which I did, being in the Russian consulate, have plenty of time on my hands to go through and analyse and read what the parliamentarians were talking about. And you look through Senator James Patterson's speech, now, this is not reported anywhere. I could say it's a TNT exclusive. It has not been reported in the mainstream media. Senator Patterson, in his speech, uh, uh, jumped on the bandwagon uh, of this uh, Australian Citizenship Amendment Citizenship Repudiation Bill, 
which would provide an appropriate mechanism to deal with dual Australian citizens who have committed uh, crimes that are so serious and significant that they demonstrate the, re uh, the repudiation of their allegiance to Australia. That's what we're talking about here. Now, it only applies to dual citizens, so 99% of the country are going to be okay. But there are plenty of dual citizens in this country, a lot of British dual citizens, New Zealander dual citizens. Now, they can't take your citizenship away, your Australian citizenship, if that's all you've got. They can't leave you stateless. So why all of a sudden has the government now uh, started talking about let's take away the dual citizenship, the Australian citizenship, if you've already got one, uh, to do, if it's a, a suspected of foreign influence? Now, it's very, very suspicious. And I want to bring this to attention of the whole Australian public. So share this video. Uh, this is going to the parliament tomorrow. We haven't got much time, but there's obviously nothing we can do because both sides of parliament, it's a monopoly. Oh, yeah. uh, traditionally, the aim of this bill was to cancel the citizenship of convicted terrorists. But this week in parliament, Senator James Patterson, or should I say last week, it was Friday, and he made an attempt to broaden the range of offences that could be an appropriate trigger for someone's citizenship to be cancelled. Now, the new offences which they want to bring in, they're rebranding this, using those detainees as an excuse. Now, foreign influence? Well, what's foreign influence? If it's such a bad question, thing... Great question. What is foreign influence? If it's such a bad thing, if it's such a you know, important factor that there's so much foreign influence going on, well, there must be a lot of people charged with it. Well, no. Only two people have been charged with foreign influence. Right? Only two people. And I think one of them got not guilty and one's before the courts. So it's not something that's like a plague or there's not a lot of it going on. Now, uh, what is foreign influence? You could be done for retweeting uh, a foreign, for example, media a tweet on Twitter or uh, sharing some misinformation or disinformation or information which the government doesn't like. And it's very, very dangerous going down this path. The other expanded list uh, of serious offences, which they also include advocating violence against Australia's national interest. Now, what does that mean? Uh, it's very broad. Simi, before you even go on, I have to say something, use you as an example. They would use that against somebody like you who is very, you know, pro-Russian in the Ukraine-Russia conflict. I myself have no ties to Russia. I am of Scottish-Irish heritage. My dad's from Scotland. Now, they can't say that about me, and I absolutely want Russia to win that conflict every bit as much as you do. And and I, I feel that with my entire heart. Yet if you go and voice that same opinion, they'll say that you're being influenced by Russia and they'll use that against you to take away your Australian citizenship and get rid of you. And that makes me sick to my core. And if it was only against physically violent offenders, pedophiles, rapists, Fine, terrific. But here they are doing as you just alluded to. Mate, it is really horrific and people need to wake up to the duopoly, what it's all about. We had those uh, calls where they were calling uh, people such as Peter Dutton, uh, somebody who uh, assists and is for pedophiles recently. And the only reason that he didn't go forward with the legislation as it was, as they would have us believe, was because it didn't go far enough. Now we've seen how much further they wanted to go, and it shows the duopoly value of it, and I don't like it. They should have left it as it was. It's gotten even worse for fair-income Aussies who have a fair-income opinion that is their own. Well, that's that's Claire O'Neill you're talking about who had a stab at Dutton. Dutton's now demanding an apology, uh, but don't be fooled. They're just making a show. Claire O'Neill's not against Dutton. Dutton's not against her. Yep. I mean, they're all part of the same team and they're creating the illusion of debate in Parliament. 
Meanwhile, while they're pretending to argue about who called who a name or who said what, it's all irrelevant because it's under parliamentary privilege, so no one needs to apologise. You can't be sued for defamation. But while they're distracting us, the designated distraction for the media and for everybody in the community and on social media to be up in arms about on Twitter, what actually is going on in the background is they're ramming through this legislation, which also uh, includes stripping citizenship of those uh, who are advocating uh, terrorism and genocide, right? Now, what does it mean advocating genocide? So what if someone is a pro-Palestinian supporter or a protester and is caught chanting on the streets, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, for example. That's a random example. And then that's interpreted by a pro-Israeli person as saying, oh, that sounds like genocide because you want to, you want your country to take over our country. And that goes to court and the judge says, yeah, I'll agree with that. Or, so, or something else. This is where we're in dangerous territory. It could be the other way. It could be an Israeli talking about Palestinians. Now, these these uh, laws uh, were fair enough if it's for a convicted terrorist. But when they're broadening the scope, as Senator Patterson wants and all his mates in Parliament, it's getting very dangerous. Now, another one, uh, another reason they can use to take away citizenship. And, and Simeon, we'll, we'll have to be we'll have to be very quick because we didn't need to get to a break. But yeah, please go on. Uh, advocating violence against Australia's national interests. Now, that's something that Senator James Patterson brought forward in Parliament. For example, Australian mercenaries who go off to fight overseas in Ukraine, if you or I were to say, well, they're over there and they're fighting for money and they deserve what they get, right? They deserve to meet their fate, let's say, for example. Yeah. That could be interpreted as advocating for violence against Australia's national interests. Absolutely. And you could be stripped of citizenship. So uh, this is a very strong warning uh, to everybody because Senator Patterson has been uh, chasing uh, my tail for a long time. He's been talking about foreign influence. He's talked about me in the Senate a few times. He's very pro-Ukraine. He's very pro-Israel. And this bill that they're ramming through Parliament now, it's very, very dangerous. Uh, well, I know I don't have much time left, but this bill uh, is so dangerous because losing citizenship is effectively a civil death sentence. If you don't have citizenship, you don't have anything. And we're talking about you know, allegiance to Australia and Australian values. Well, the court hasn't even defined itself what Australian values are. Some say these values are consist of values of democratic beliefs, rights and liberties underpin Australian society. But the bill itself demonstrates the readiness of the ruling class and its political servants to override democratic beliefs, rights, and liberties. Now, does, there's, and, hey, Simeon, there's so much we could talk about, and I think we should continue it this tomorrow because I think we're just scraping the tip of the iceberg with this one. So I think we could we could do the, finish this tomorrow. Mate, always an absolute pleasure. I do have to get to the news. Uh, the Aussie Cossack, a.k.a. Simeon Boykov. Mate, I thank you. I look forward to chatting with you tomorrow afternoon and your perspective always immensely appreci appreciated. Everyone, you're listening to TNT Radio. We'll be back with Matt Shelton right after this. I got news for you. TNT Radio News. It's about time. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. There were extraordinary scenes out of the US Monday night where a house exploded into a fireball during a police operation. US Senator Lindsey Graham has once again come under fire, this time for shrugging off the mounting civilian death toll in Gaza. And the families of the hostages who remain in Gaza are demanding a meeting with Israel's war cabinet, saying not enough is being done to bring their loved ones home. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio.
and welcome back. My next guest, his name is Matt Shelton, and a true hero of the last three years. And boy, didn't we need some after what we've been through, not just here in Australia, but I would suggest, um, I've often said, I think we got it worse than anywhere in the world when it comes to the last three years. But NZ, New Zealand, under Jacinda Ardern was absolutely right up there. And some people could argue possibly worse, certainly worse than we had it here in most states, with the exception of WA and Victoria. And don't get me started on that. Matt Shelton is a medical veteran taking a stand against New Zealand's COVID policies facing government and media backlash for his views on vaccine safety. A man who not just is highly credentialed, but a man who obviously is intuitive, has a bunch of common sense and stood up and risked all for you. And we're going to go right to him. Hey, Matt, how are you going? Oh, I'm fine, Dean. How are you doing? Hey, good. And I always have to uh, say a very sincere thank you to people such as yourself. It was very lonely for us in the media trying to push what we felt and having no, you know, medical uh, degree myself and not having anything other than a bunch of experts who had done their due diligence to talk to. And I thank people like you for fighting for us and literally, I think, saving thousands, if not possibly way more than that, of lives of people who listen to people such as yourself. Well, thank you. Um, I mean, it's really fairly straightforward. We just ask questions. Um, I mean, I, I, I do have a medical degree, but I don't have a, a medical license at the moment. I don't have a, a certificate to practice. So I just want to make that clear at the start that I'm not um, I'm not here to diagnose disease uh, or, or, or treat people. Um, but I mean, I've got 38 years under my belt as a, as a you know full time doctor. And so I, I think, I you know, I've earned some rights to um, you know, have my own views, uh, which you know, I'm 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 ready to share um, with anyone who's genuinely interested. And, and, um, and Matt, we're part of quite Matt, a big group I've, now. I've, I've just got to cut you short. Uh, when you say that, I mean, you may not currently have a medical uh, license. You've certainly done the hard yards. You yet you did have one. And the fact that you are of this opinion to me makes you far more qualified than many of those people who do currently have a medical license. And I would suggest almost everybody listening feels that way as well. And I just had to say that because I think it's dreadful. Well, you know, what's been done to many of the people. I talk to Dr. William Bay on this program all the time. And, you know, those of you who had the guts to get up there and speak the truth that, I mean, is now undeniable. The data is substantial. And um, again, I just have to go out and give you that extra wrap just to say we're on your side and we appreciate you more than you might imagine. Thank you, Dean. It, it, it really does make a difference. It does help. Thanks. Sorry, mate, I, I cut you short. Please, please continue. But I just, uh, from the heart, I, I had to uh, intervene. Yeah, no, I was, I was, I was thanking you for that. It really does make a difference. Um, you know, we we couldn't do what we what we do if if we didn't think we were making a difference. Um, and it gets pretty lonely and um, you know almost boring. Um, but in the context of what we're actually speaking again, that's perhaps the wrong word. Um, you know, having the moral high ground the whole time because we're completely unassailable on the basics of medical ethics, the basics of of not experimenting on pregnant women, um, of informed consent. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, these concepts, uh, you know, are, are not going to die, not as long as we've got breath, no matter how people may wish to redefine medical ethics as now, meaning, um, you know, you have to maintain confidence in the state health apparatus. Um, so we have the government in the consultation room now clearing at the patient and the doctor, um, whereas, you know, that, that that's unprecedented. So there's a sort of a tyrannical slide that we're, we're determined to, you know, rescue as best we can.
Mate, about the only thing I may disagree on with you on today is the fact that it's almost not boring. I mean, the amount of data that's coming out, the amount of information that's coming to light on a day-by-day basis, uh, I mean, it's certainly not exciting. It's horrifying. It's mortifying what we're, hmm. what we're hearing. And those of, you know, such as yourself who did tell us, um, and of course, whistleblowers, which are people who have historically been become over time champions and and I got to talk to the son of one uh, the son of Dr McBride you know the whistleblower here in Australia for what happened in the 60s with with or was it the early 70s with uh no 60s uh with uh, a particular drug a morning sickness drug thalidomide that did all that harm and again his dad an absolute hero himself a military uh whistleblower and we're having this problem now in New Zealand and I hope the new government isn't showing what I perceive to be its true colours because here they are, whistleblowers having their houses surrounded by police. They're being arrested, charged with uh, accessing data illegally, data that they came by as part of their job. And now, uh, as, as somebody of conscience, they wish to share that information um, with the general public and the current government seemingly doing very little to uh, stop what's happening to them. It's mortifying that we're getting this data, but it's terrific that we've still got people, whistleblowers, prepared to come out. But the way the New Zealand government is currently uh, treating them is horrific. Well, you know, we don't actually know what the New Zealand government actually thinks because most of this has been led by the Ministry of Health. Uh, As you know, we've got a new government that's really only just got its feet under the table. Um, And we've had um, a, a fairly ambiguous statement, I would say, from the new Minister of Health, but um, the Minister of Health, but the Ministry itself um, has has driven this. They made the police complaint um, and they put out statements um, that make it very easy for us all to have no doubt that A, this guy was real, um, he was working for the Ministry of Health, he was who he said he was, um, and that his data seems real as well. Uh, you know, so, so any doubt that the whole thing might be faked, um, you know, is, is has been dispelled by the, you know, the the obvious reaction, I guess, you know, of, of immediate intimidation, bullying, um, you know, hiring data specialists to try and comb the internet to, you know, retrieve the information and take out an injunction, which actually is a very bizarre one because it's been taken out through the Employment Relations Authority, uh, the the Employment Court, and and nobody's really been able to see it. Um, you know, it's been asked for, and and they say, well, give us three working days, which is up tomorrow. And we'll see the exact details. So none of us are quite sure what we can say or 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 publish about it. Um, and and it does look like a sort of fairly panicked, um, you know, on the hoof response. And yeah. and like they were they were really caught out. But I mean, this release has been flagged since before the election. You know, over, over a month ago, um, you know, it was clear that some data was knocking around and may well be released. So. Um, you know, as usual, because they're not saying anything and they're so, certainly not fessing up with the data themselves. So we can all see that what they're saying is true, uh, that there is only been four deaths, uh, official deaths acknowledged by the government since the vaccine rollout started. Only four? Um, yep, four wow. officially. That is crazy. Uh, so uh, 100 and, 180 have been reported to our official reporting system um, th- through what's called CALM, the Centre for Adverse Reactions Monitoring. Um and, but but they you know they haven't done any reporting for over a year. They stopped actually reporting at all, uh, saying that you know it's 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 so safe that they don't need to do it anymore. Um, I mean, you know, we <laughs> yeah. couldn't make this up, and, and we're all sick of saying that too. Um, but but it's just we're living in a sort of Alice in Wonderland clown you know clown world where where you know black is white. Um, we know what the data says, 
Um, and we challenged the government as usual, as we've been doing for, well, nearly the three years since this thing was released, you know, yeah. to prove that it is safe and effective because we've got plenty of data that's been showing the opposite and we've been giving it to them. We know they've had it. Um, they've just been ignoring it. So this is an interesting change in that they've actually come out with a response and they've said, um, you know, the vaccine is not responsible for increased all-cause mortality in New Zealand. Uh, and they worded that very carefully. They didn't say the increased all-cause mortality um, because although it's all over the papers um, that, you know, we've got unprecedented higher levels than we've ever had in history, key government officials and politicians have been on the media saying, actually, no, there isn't a, a rise in all-cause mortality. If anything, it's less than average and everything's fine. So, you know, we're kind of just just blinking, you know, in, in, in surprise at, at how long this is continuing. My view of the two-party system may be rather jaded. I tend to see it in most of the Western nations as a duopoly. Um, somebody who I know, and just through talking to you, you know, for a short period of time, is somebody who trusts his intuition highly. What are your thoughts on, on the new government in New Zealand? Do you think you're going to see any real change when it comes to any of this, or are you hopeful? Oh, look, there's real possibility. Um, I mean, already a lot of the you know, very radical and kind of tyrannical, we'd say, but certainly, you know, um, controlling legislation that was introduced in the last three years um, is being repealed. Um, you know, there were keystone policies from the last government that, that you know, to many of us verged on, on you know, Marxist. They were so, um, uh, you know, invasive in, into the very fabric of, of how people live. Um, so a lot of that's gone and is going. So that's really exciting. And, and we have been promised a public inquiry. Um, and in a way, the, the timing of this isn't ideal um, for the people who are charged with, with you know, mugging up how that's going to look. Um, it's a distraction. But frankly, that's that's not our problem. And we just need, you know, data like this to be made available. And, and look, I mean, it's been sort of 72 hours since people have had their, well, in fact, longer now, four days since people have get, got their teeth into it. And it's not perfect. Um, it's incomplete. It's messy. There were some mistakes obviously made with data entry. But it does seem to um, you know, be in accord with a lot of other stuff that's come out uh, and that we've been talking about for several years that, that um, you know, the, 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 there are real dangers in all this um, that are very clear, consistent uh, across all ages. Um, you know, and we focus a lot on the young because, you know, it's particularly um, dreadful when young people's lives are ended oh, yeah. um, before their time. But, you know, the, the, the greatest impact has actually been on, on, on the older people. Um, and, and Steve Kirsch has been talking about that, this with the Medicare data that a whistleblower presented to him. Uh, and we've now got this data, which certainly seems to skew towards the over 55s. Um, and, and that's because of the payment system that Barry Young, who's the whistleblower, was administering. Um, was about paying uh, mobile vaccine clinics that were going into institutions, rest homes, um, you know, dementia units, uh, sort of hospital level, um, you know, wards in, in, in rest homes and things. So vaccinating people who were, who were already elderly or infirm or immobile and who couldn't just trundle down to the latest, you know, Vaxathon down the road or the GP clinic or the pharmacy. So, you know, there is an inherent bias in terms of, of the sort of starting health of those people, but even notwithstanding that, um, you know, it, it, it's 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 not looking especially reassuring for the sort of safe and effective narrative. And time will tell what what the consensus of kind of academic freedom statisticians, if you like, will will make of it. Um, but but it's it's pretty clear that this is authentic 
numbers for sure. Well, all, all we can do, Matt, at this point is pray for some good long-term outcomes. And again, mate, uh, somebody licensed or not, I couldn't imagine being treated by anybody better or more intuitive and intelligent than yourself, mate. I thank you very much for coming on the program. And I hope we can do it again soon because I feel we've just scraped the tip of the iceberg uh, today. As always. Thank hey, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. That's Matt Shelton, everybody. This is TNT Radio. We're going to be back after the break to talk to Steve Kirsch. Stick around. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. These are parlous times for liberty in the United States and for the Constitution and the rule of law. House Republicans have joined with their Democrat colleagues to oust Republican Representative George Santos, only the sixth member to ever be removed from the lower legislative chamber. Three were removed in 1861 after they joined the Confederacy, and the other two following their convictions of the crimes of which they were accused. Santos has been accused of fraud crimes but not convicted. This is a premature, preemptive strike by Republicans on one of their own, and it sets a dangerous precedent. Now, I hold no grief for George Santos. He seems, quite frankly, like a wingnut, but it's up to the constituents of his district to remove him from office absent a criminal conviction. This is just one more episode in the long history of Republicans bowing to Democrat will. It seems as though when Democrats win elections, they get their own way. And when Republicans win elections, Democrats still get their own way. This is why we're so upset with the Republican Party. Grow a pair, stand up, and say no to the other side. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. A year ago, I couldn't afford the rent anymore. I had no support and I was out of options. I had to sleep wherever I could. I thought, am I going to be out here on Christmas Day? Your urgent donation of £29.73 could help make this Christmas the first day of someone's life beyond homelessness. I'm so glad crisis was there. I could finally get warm. I had someone in my corner. We got something for you. This Christmas, I'm here, home, because my first day at crisis was my last day on the streets. This Christmas, thousands more people across the UK will be facing homelessness. We urgently need your donation. Search Crisis at Christmas or scan the QR code to give £29.73 now. Dean Mackin. Dean Mackin. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. And welcome back. We can't get a hold of Steve Kirsch, the, uh, one of the, <laughs> the things that happens when you do live TV or radio. But I'm happy because I get to talk to Matt Shelton, who's agreed to hang around for another 10 minutes and so much more to talk about, Matt. Um, you know, I have had a bit of a history when it comes to commercial radio in Australia. Um, I'm one of the guys who got sacked a couple of times because I spoke what I believed. I think time will always prove us correct, and it has happened to be the case. But um, absolutely, I was done with radio in 2019. I had no intention of ever returning to radio. And then COVID happened, or allegedly uh, COVID happened, and I couldn't wait to get back. I had to get back. I had to be the one guy in the Australian media who voiced his concerns. I didn't understand how anybody, anybody with any qualifications or not 
could suggest that any kind of technology that was pretty much brand new, that hadn't been tested, certainly hadn't been tested on the scale that it was, um, could actually go and look anybody in the face and say, hey, this is safe and it's effective. I couldn't understand it and I couldn't wait to get back on. Hence why I'm immensely enjoying talking to people such as yourself. The data that you're seeing must be just absolutely incredible. I said back in um, 2020, uh, alongside our medical professionals, what we need are statisticians. And a statistician could um, analyze the risk, um, who should be vaccinated, who maybe shouldn't, maybe nobody, uh, certainly the risk of those as well. But mate, we didn't get the data. We didn't get any actual data until it was too late. In New South Wales here in Australia, the New South Wales government was releasing, and you'd probably be more than aware of it, the weekly respiratory surveillance reports. And they had a column where they had uh, people in the left column in the hospital, in the middle of the ICU, or who had died in the right column. And on the left column, it was by vaccination status, unknown, zero jabs, unvaccinated, us dirty, unwashed, of course, one, two, three, four or more. And it showed so clearly that the more jabs you had had, almost to the point where it was becoming exponential, you were more likely to be in hospital, certainly more likely to be in the ICU, and the death column was about four or five times, sometimes eight times higher. So the data was absolutely devastating to the narrative of safe and effective. People such as myself and a few others in the Australian commercial media were absolutely pushing these numbers out there every week. I couldn't wait to tell people for fear that maybe um, they'd have another booster shot and maybe if I gave them this data, they would decide against it. That was the only reason I went back. And then they went and, like you said, uh, happened similarly in New Zealand. They pulled that data at the end of last year. The, the whole weekly respiratory surveillance report is pretty much intact, but the most crucial data uh, that was in there has now been pulled. Isn't that... It's beyond, it's got to be borderline criminal to take away such data. Well, the taxpayers own it. And, you know, we all, we all have a vested interest in, you know, knowing what, what were the intentions for the whole thing and what are the outcomes that we've achieved because we're the, um, you know, we're the laboratory monkeys um, on the end of this thing. And, and you know, we, you say that we didn't have data at the beginning, but, I mean, what what really got me riled up and interested right at the beginning was was how quickly it became apparent actually that, that we weren't dealing with anything um you know the scale of bubonic plague or ebola uh, or even yeah. the spanish flu um although interestingly that's what some members of our parliament were told back then um that, that this would be that level of um of, of doom and this was their opportunity by getting in behind and and being a unified you know force that that they could be heroes and save you know, save millions and billions of lives around the world. Um, but, you know, the IFR, the infection fatality rate that came out fairly quickly, sort of by March, April 2020, was actually very reassuring. So immediately that dismantled the, um, you know, the need for, for any sort of vaccine, let alone um, a hurried one, uh, brand new platform, no safety data, blah, blah, blah. You know, we, we know all that. Um, but the momentum towards rolling out a vaccination um, locking people up in their own homes, basically, or certainly their own country, until the vaccination was available, you know, made people, you know, basket cases of, of, of anxiety and hope. Um, and, and rational thought went out the window and people stopped critical thinking and they put all their, all their hopes and dreams of, of being free 
um, and, and being able to reconnect with each other and being able to uncover their faces and, and you know, get their children educated and, you know, get their older kids, you know, hanging around in their peer groups, you know, becoming young adults in, in the way that they, they, they should. Um, so, so people were desperate for that. And then the likes of, of you know, you and I or anybody who, uh, you know, had a different, different view and especially people who had a professional right to a oh, different yeah. view. Um, you know, really started to experience the sort of the cold blast of, of you know, censorship and, and discipline and, um, and, and things. Uh, you know, and all of that just smelt worse and worse and worse. And so by the time the jab was, was actually rolled out, um, you know, certainly our group here, nzdsos.com, uh, by the way, if people want to look at our website, um, you know, we're really, you know, really concerned that this was actually far bigger than some, you know, some virus. Um, there was a lot more going on and, and, you know, smarter people than us have probably rumbled that, uh, a, a lot before that. And I mean, I can certainly remember the, the swine flu, um, 2008, I think it was that we all worked through. And, and very clearly, I remember being relieved actually what a relatively mild influenza illness it was. I mean, it was still no fun, but the waiting rooms were full of people with it. Uh, you know, the first Monday in July, I think, I think it started. Um, but the fact that they come to you tells you straight away that it's not your, you know, it's not your, your moderately bad or severe influenza where, where you go and see people in their homes because they're too ill to get out of bed. Yeah. Um, so lots of people got it. It was perhaps easier to catch than normal flus, but it wasn't a severe one. And yet there was a headlong push for, for a rushed out vaccine that, that killed upwards of, of 50 people, I think, before it was withdrawn. And the WHO and the pharmaceutical industry were both heavily criticized after that. Uh, for you know, beating up the severity and trying to persuade the world to take a, a you know a, a rushed vaccine, um, and I remembered that, and I was already sort of working as an integrative doctor anyway, and had got across the idea that actually um, there's far more to health and medicine and wellness um, than just pharmaceuticals. Um, so you know, it wasn't a difficult sort of leap to make that um, this was all about profit and, and using you know fear and loathing, um, but they failed. Um, and, and they didn't get it. And I remember being, you know, really quite pleased that that happened. And, and so 10 years later, 11 years later, uh, you know, we're back in the same situation and, and we'd seen it before. So, um, you know, sadly, the rest is history. There are still people dying uh, who shouldn't be. Uh, and there's still denial. And I've got to just come back to the, the whistleblower thing. You know, one of the particular, um, you know, most acute ironies, I guess, is that this guy, you know, went public because he was trying to help people. Uh, and trying to alert us to the fact that there are, you know, that, that he felt he was seeing evidence of, of increased deaths um, from the vaccination. And he's the one that gets arrested, um, you know, and they 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 accuse him of, of dishonestly accessing a computer, you know, that he worked with. That yeah. was his job. Um, but for the purposes of sowing disinformation, well, since when is that a crime on the statute books? Um, you know, we, we have a Bill of Rights Act and we have still the right to, you know, people are free to spread disinformation. If they want, it's not actually breaking the law. Um, you know, your local community won't thank you for it if, if you're, you know, proven to be peddling BS. But, um, you know, it's, 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 it's all, it's all just, um, you know, a, a sort of farce of the highest order, except that this is serious stuff because people are dying, people are getting disabled. Um, and, 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 you know, people's, people's lives are being wrecked.
Yeah, Matt, and uh, a couple of things, mate. Um, we know you're correct because we've seen in those countries that didn't follow the regime that we did here, whether it be Sweden, many of the African countries or whatever, long term, they've had better health outcomes. So we know that to be the case. The one thing that really, and I have to be extremely quick, that worried me was there was, I don't think anybody who was paying attention who didn't realise that this was almost, that children were almost immune to this, yet the disproportionate push to have children injected with a, a substance that we knew very little about. And that is a, a conversation in itself that we could have. And it brings tears to my eyes because I've heard some absolute horror stories. Matt Sheldon, I appreciate you, A, coming on the program, B, for hanging around a bit longer. Um, you're an absolute legend, mate. I hope we can do it again. And thanks for coming on TNT Radio today. You're welcome. Do get Steve on there. Thanks yeah, a lot. Mate, well, we'll get him on later in the week. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone. That's Matt Shelton and uh, Steve Kirsch, of whom he speaks. Uh, we couldn't get a hold of him today, but I promise we will get a hold of him later in the week and uh, hear what he has to say. Thank you, you lot, for hanging around. We've got Lambert Opic coming up next and, of course, the wonderful Katie Hopkins after that. Thanks for hanging around. We'll catch you all tomorrow. Take care. <laughs>